Welcome to New Season Ministry with Evangelist Jeremy Cook. We hope today's message will challenge, encourage, and uplift you in your walk with the Lord. Enjoy the message. So we're talking, we've been... uh... We've been in the book of Acts on Wednesday nights. I know uh, we've, we've taken a break from that the last couple of weeks uh, due to the schedules and things like that. But tonight, we are going to be continuing our study our, in our series in the book of Acts. We are still in the book of Acts chapter number 1. And what I'm, what I'm doing, uh, unless the Lord leads me otherwise, it leads in a different direction, or until you get tired of it and come to me and tell me that you're tired of hearing about the book of Acts, my plan is is to stick with this and just kind of go verse by verse through everything and, uh, and look at some things and, uh, and understand the church that God orchestrated, a spirit-filled sanctified church that God orchestrated. And when we were when we looked at this the last time, we talked about our need for the spirit of God. We where Jesus looked at his disciples and said, "But you shall receive power after that that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and the Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And we talked about that the primary need or the primary function of us being filled with the Spirit of God is for us to be witnesses unto Him, for us to be witnesses of Him, for us to be able to, without reservation, without, without fear, without trepidation, to be able to, to, uh, to speak, to, to proclaim the wonderful works of God and to preach the gospel message. And tonight we are going to begin in the book of Acts chapter number 1, begin reading at verse number 9. Um, I don't know how far that we'll get into this tonight. Because there is a lot, as I begin to, uh, over, over the course of today, begin to uh, refresh my, myself on some notes that I have already prepared and everything. There's just so much meat tonight. And I don't know how much we're going to be able to get through. But if you'll bear with me, we'll try to get through, uh, we'll try to get through most of this. Because we're going we're gonna to talk about... The ascension of our of our uh, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We'll talk about the fact that the same Jesus that has that went away shall come again in like manner. We'll talk about that. We'll also uh, in in the conclusion of this chapter. We'll talk about the things uh, that uh, that the early church did. How that they were people uh, of. Obedience. They were people of unity. They were people of prayer. They were people that loved the Word of God. They were people that uh, that desired the will of God. We'll look at how that the early church made decisions and what we can learn from that. All of that here in the rest of this chapter that we're going to be looking at. But let's get right into it. But before we do, let's pray. Because I believe that before we get into the Word of God, we need to pray that it will accomplish what it is set forth to do. Amen? So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you here tonight, Lord God. Father, I ask you that you would anoint your Word. We know that your Word is anointed tonight, Lord. And God, we ask, Lord God, that would it go forth in power and demonstration. 
God, I would ask, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us tonight. And Father, whenever we'll cease to give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it all, in Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, Amen. And amen. So let's begin in the book of Acts chapter 1. Let's begin at verse 9. And let's read down through verse 11. We'll talk about these scriptures here. And then if we have time, we'll, we'll attempt to try to move on tonight. So the book of Acts chapter 1, begin reading at verse 9. The word of the Lord says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. You may be, you may be seated. So Jesus... Gave them the commission to go into Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father. For he said earlier, he said, For John truly baptizes you with water, but ye shall be baptized in the Holy Ghost not many days after this. And they asked him, his disciples came to him and asked him a question and asked him and said, Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? Jesus said that it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in His own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, the Bible says that He is taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. It amazes me that in the book of Luke, the, uh, the book of Luke ends with the ascension of Jesus, whereas the book of Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 24 and verse 50, the Bible says that he blesses them as he is departing from there. And he, he is taken from them. Now I don't know how you would feel about this. The disciples walked with him for three and a half years. They learned things pertaining to the kingdom of God. But now he is being taken up from them. And so the Bible says that he was caught up in the clouds. That he was taken up, that a cloud received him into that. Now there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation as to what does this mean? Was it was it a literal cloud? Was it angels that took him up? Some people believe that 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 the cloud that received him was nothing more than what was experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration when the Bible says that the glory of God that 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 he shone that he was radiant and so some theologians believe that it was it that it was the Shekinah glory of God it was the same cloud that followed the children of Israel in the book of Exodus when we read about there was a pillar of fire 
fire by night and a, and a cloud by day that led them. Some people believe that. Regardless of where you fall in on that and whether if it is a literal cloud, we know this. We know that eventually God, that, that God manifests in the flesh. Jesus is going to come back in the clouds of glory. Yeah. Amen. That how He ascended is the same way that He is going to descend. The Bible says that while they watched, He was taken up. It was important for Jesus to leave His disciples in this manner. Remember the words of Jesus to His disciples in John chapter 16 and verse 7. He said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go not away, the, the comforter, the helper, the advocate, the, the paraclete, the one that comes alongside that is just like me, cannot come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now the disciples knew that since He was being taken away from their sight, they knew that Jesus could be taken at His promise that not many days from that point that the Spirit of God, that the promise of the Father was going to be poured out on them. You see, the Holy Spirit was coming because Jesus prophesied and promised to send the Spirit when He left. I don't know, I, I can imagine what that was like that day. As they, were on, as they were on the Mount of Olives there in Bethany. And they looked up into the heavens and they saw the Lord. They saw the man that they walked with. The one that raised the dead. The one that cleansed the leopard. The one that gave sight to the blind. The ones that, that caused the deaf ears to be unstopped. And as they, and I can only imagine what they were thinking as he ascended into the heaven. I don't know, but me, I wouldn't have wanted him to go. That's just me. There's been a part of me. No, I, I'm experiencing so much. I, I, I'm seeing so much. God, I don't want you. I don't want you to go. They didn't necessarily understand what was going to happen a mere ten days later in that. But while they were gazing into the heavens. The Bible says that there were two men that stood by in white apparel. Angels that I believe. And the angels told them, put your gaze in the right place. Because they were looking up. They were looking into the heavens. But these two men that were in white apparel asked them, why are you standing gazing into the heavens? And I believe that it was a challenge to them to put their focus in the right place too. Because He told them, return to Jerusalem so that you will be endued with power from on high. Jesus told them to go to the ends of the earth and they stood gazing into the heavens. But these two men gave them a glorious promise. When it said that this same Jesus, this same Jesus that was taken up from you is going to come again. This same Jesus, this is a glorious phrase. It reminds us that the Jesus ascended to heaven and now He is seated at the right hand 
of God the Father. It is the same Jesus of the Gospels. He is the same Jesus of love, grace, goodness, wisdom, and care. They're saying this same Jesus that you walk with, this same Jesus that you talk with, this same Jesus that you saw, that you witnessed raise the dead and, and, and give sight to the blind and do all these mighty, wonderful works, He is coming again. I wonder tonight, church, if we fully understand the fact that He is coming again. I wonder if we are so focused as to what is going on in the here and the now. And what is going on in our sphere of influence. That we've got to understand that Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming. Why? Because the Bible tells me He is coming again. It was a promise that He gave to His disciples through two angels that says that this same Jesus, He may be sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, but there is coming a day, the Bible says, that every eye shall see Him, even those that pierced Him are going to see Him. You see... Jesus will come. So let's talk about this. The fact that Jesus is coming back. Because here's the thing. We don't hear this much preaching nowadays. We don't hear about the preaching of Jesus' return as much as we used to. There was a time that just about every Spirit-filled preacher would preach on the coming of the Lord. But now I'm afraid that we have entered into that season that the Apostle Peter talked about and wrote about when he says that in the last days there will come scoffers that will say, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, everything has, has, has happened, has continued on as it were. But Peter wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit of God and said, but here's something that I want to tell you. He said, God is not slack concerning His promise. As some folks count slackness, but He is long-suffering. Why is He long-suffering? Why hasn't He come back? The Bible tells us why He hasn't come back yet. It's because it is not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But that still doesn't negate the fact that He is coming back. And we've got to preach the fact that He is coming back again to this earth someday. Jesus is coming back. And He is coming back to those that are ready to see Him. Here is a few things that, that I am aware of about His second coming. He left physically, and He will so come again in like manner. He left physically, and Jesus Christ will come back physically. There are some people, there are some people in pulpits, in churches, that do not believe in a bodily resurrection. There are some pulpits that do not preach that Jesus Christ will come back in the flesh. They all believe that it is all just a spiritual thing that will happen. But no, the angels prophesied and said this same Jesus will come again in like manner. And He left physically. How do I know that He left physically? Because He told His disciples, come here. Put your hands in my nail prints. Put your hands in my side. Touch me. 
He left physically and He will come again in like manner. He left, visi- he left visibly and He will so come again in like manner. The Bible says that every eye is going to see Him. See, here's the thing. There is this, I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but and, and we can blame we can blame movies. I'm just going to be I, I'm going to be very very honest with you here. Are you ready? You can blame books like Left Behind on this type of theory here. You can uh, that is called what we call the secret rapture theory, which means that when 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 the rapture takes place or, or and Jesus calls the church home, that people are not going to know what actually happened. People are going to be struggling. People are going to be scratching their heads wondering, why in the world did, did all of this or did all of this happen? Why what, what what caused all this? You know, and we hear the things and we've seen it in the movies and we read it in the books that the government's gonna say this and, and, and everything. But the fact is, is that what happens, it'll be visible. It will be visible. When Jesus, when Jesus steps out on the cloud. And he gets ready to call his people home. And he gets ready to rapture his church. And he gets ready to step foot on the Mount of Olives. It's not going to be just for a select few and nobody else is going to know about it. Every eye is going to see him. And can I just say this? Every knee shall bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see... He also left from the Mount of Olives. And He will also come again to the Mount of Olives. Zechariah chapter 14 verses 3 through 4 tells us that He will stand on the Mount of Olives. It will cleave in half towards the east and to the west. And a valley is going to open up from the north and to the south. And at that moment when he stands on the Mount of Olives, he's going to, where's he walking to? He's going to walk right into the gates of the city. He's going to walk right into Jerusalem. He's going to walk right into that temple. He's going to throw the Antichrist off of his throne. And he's going to set up in his temple. And he is going to declare, I am the King of kings. And I am the Lord of lords. I want to tell you, this will be a perfect time to stop right here and tell everybody that's watching by Facebook. And everybody that is in this house tonight. I want to tell you, it may seem like everything is falling apart right now. But there is coming a day for the child of God. There is coming a day... When the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, His vesture is going to be dipped in blood. The sword of the Spirit, of the, which is the Word of God, is going to come out of His mouth. He's going to trample the winepress. He's going to walk through the Kedron Valley. He's going to destroy His enemies with the brightness of His coming. He is coming again. He's going to stand. Uh, he's going to sit in the temple, and He is going to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. And the good thing is. I get to come back with him. I don't know about you, but I, this is just how, maybe this seems prideful, but I like to be on the horse right next to his. Because I'm, I, because I'm wanting to ride with him. I don't have to do anything because he's going to take care of it all himself. But I just want to be, I just want to be right there next to him. Because he is coming again. He left in the presence of his disciples. And so He will come again 
in like manner. He's coming again. I find it interesting that the fact that He is coming again, He is coming again, right? He, he leaves after He gives them a command to go into all the world. So when He comes again, the first time that He came, He came to be judged for the sin of mankind. He who knew no sin became sin for us. But the second time that He's coming, He is coming to judge all the earth. And everyone will stand before Him on that day and have to give an account on the day of judgment. We will have to give an account. And He's going to ask, what did you do with me? What did you do with my command? There are scriptures. And my wife asked me before we walked over here today, tonight. She said, you're going to talk about those scriptures. And I said, I don't know them. But there are scriptures that paint a very interesting picture of what it's like to stand before the Lord. I want to to talk about these just for a second here. Because I believe that we have to put everything in its proper perspective. Jesus gave the parable and He said about the Master that comes back and He finds... His servants not doing what they are supposed to be doing. Which is a type and shadow of the Lord's second coming. And He says on that day, those that are worthy of many stripes will be beaten with many stripes. Those that are worthy of few stripes will be worthy of few stripes. Why? Because it all hinges on what they did for the kingdom of God. See, it ought to, the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back, and He's coming back soon, it ought to quicken us and awaken us that there is a work that needs to be done. It ought to quicken us and awaken us to the fact that there is a lost in a dying world out there that needs to know Him. It is easy for us to sit in the four walls of the church. It is is easy for us to be comfortable in the positions that we are in while everybody else goes goes by, goes, goes away, and we do not reach them. But I want to tell you, I do not want to have to stand before God on that day and have anybody's blood on my hands because I refuse to tell them about Jesus. I want to tell you something that is interesting about about the judgment of God. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66. 
We don't hear a lot on this. Isaiah chapter 66. Let's look at the final two verses that are there. Verses 23 and 24. And Isaiah chapter 66. The Bible says that it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another. And from one Sabbath to another. All flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And in verse 24, look at how the book of Isaiah ends up here. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. What does that sound like to you? Jesus talked about a place where the worm dies not, neither is the fire ever quenched. It gives me an interesting picture of perhaps what the millennial reign will look like when Jesus comes back and sets up His kingdom. So the fact that Jesus is coming back ought to quicken and awaken us to the need of the hour. That there is a lost and a dying world out there that needs to know Him. If all we do... I'm afraid. I'm afraid that in God's kingdom we try to build our kingdom. That we try to build our platforms. Sister Tanya said it best just a few weeks ago. Another name for platform is an altar. And we try to erect our own altars for our own things. But the, the thing that amazes me the most is that when Jesus comes back, Jesus is simply going to ask, what have we done as the church for the kingdom of God? But not only should it quicken and awaken us, but it also should encourage and comfort us. The Bible says that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That they'll be heady, they'll be high-minded. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, He said that you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. He said men's hearts will fail them because of fear. When they look upon the things that are coming upon the earth. But what should it do for the child of God? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians that for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be called up together to meet the Lord in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And He says, Wherefore, comfort one another. With these words. The fact that Jesus Christ 
is soon to return ought to bring us encouragement. It ought to bring us comfort. It ought to let us know that even when we turn on the news right now and we see everything that's going on, this thing's getting ready to wrap up. It ought to give us comfort that the things that we have been groaning for, that we've been travailing for, Romans chapter 8 says right now the whole creation, all of creation groans. It, <clears throat> it travails. It, it, it cries out for release. But I'm thankful that when I see everything that's going on in the world right now, I'm thankful that release is getting ready to come. That God is getting ready to return. That He is getting ready to set up His kingdom. And here's the thing. He's not coming down to do a renovation. He will destroy the works of the enemy. That ought to bring us comfort. That there is coming a day. There will be no more Satan. There's coming a day there will be no more sin. There's coming a day there will be no more sickness. There's coming a day there will be no more disease. There's coming a day that there will be no more poverty. There will be no more. There will be a day that there will be no more fleeting prayers that we have to be praying. Because our faith is going to end in sight on that day. It ought to bring us comfort and joy. And we ought to rejoice from the fact that He is coming to make things right. See, when we think about the coming of the Lord, when we think about Him coming back, how does that, what does that do for us? What does that stir up in us? I heard a preacher, I've heard the saying so many times before, where they said, you know, you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. To be honest with you, I never understood that. Because I always believed that if, if you're heavenly minded, you'll do the earth some good. Because if your focus is in the right place, if our eyes are fixated on Jesus, if we understand that this world is not our home, somewhere along, along the way, the church forgot about that. We're trying, to, we're trying to save as much as we can around here that's not a soul. We're trying to save our houses. We're trying to save our Social Security. We're trying to save our education. And I'm not saying that any of that, have, that, that, that doesn't have a place. But when that takes the focus... And we ignore the fact that Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then everything else will be added unto you. When we set our affections on things above, as opposed to things down here, then it changes the whole aspect of how we live our lives. If we live with the with the, with the mindset of eternity, it changes everything. How would living with eternity that at any moment 
that the trumpet could sound and we would be called out of here, how would that change how you deal with your family? I'm going to walk out here real quick. How would that change how you handle your finances? How would that change the bitterness, the resentment, the unforgiveness in your heart? Are you ready? Because none of that faith, none of that stuff is going to enter into the kingdom of God. Because in one moment of time, if there's sin in your life and that trumpet sounds, we ain't going. Amen. That's the preacher, Brother Jeremy. God's not going to overlook sin on the day of judgment. I've been there. I've tried, I, I, I've tried in my own mind to try to rationalize things in my own mind. Well, you don't know what this person did. You don't know, you don't know why I did this, God. I, I did this because I had to. I did this, I did this because the temptation was too great. I did this because I was angry. I did this because of whatever. And God's gonna look at me. If, if, if I get, if I don't get that stuff under the blood, God's gonna look at me and say, Depart from me, I never knew these. And see, I think the issue is we don't live a lot of the times. Most Christians don't live with eternity in mind. We live for the here and now. God, how can you bless me today? Church has come has become a bless me club. I want to come into church so that God can bless me and meet my need. And I know that there's a time and a place for all of that. But we live with eternity in mind. The Bible says, can, can I, let's just let's read it real quick. Revelation chapter 21. And then I'll, and then I'll wrap this up. Revelation chapter 21. And verse 8 says. But the fearful, the unbelieving, let us stop right there. Let's talk about what, exactly what unbelief is. Because unbelief goes so much more beyond just simply saying, not believing in God, or not believing in Jesus Christ. But there were some people, the book of Hebrews talks about that they couldn't, that some Christians couldn't enter into rest. Because of what? Their unbelief. It wasn't the fact that they didn't believe in Jesus. They just believed that God wasn't who he said he was. Amen. And there's some people that are sitting. There are people that are sitting in our church pews all across this land. They believe in Jesus. But they just don't believe who he, who he says he is. So the unbelieving. The abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars. Even that little black lie that we tell. 
I heard a preacher say it like this one time. And you take it however you, you take it however you want to take it. But it brought conviction to me. A dear friend of mine stood up in the pulpit in, in front of a large camp meeting audience. And he held up a cell phone. And he said, this little thing right here, he says, we'll get more people in trouble on the day of judgment among preachers than anything that I know. He says, because they've got a little message on there that when you call and that message picks up, it says, hey, you've reached so-and-so. Leave me a message and I'll call you right back. And we never called back. Now, here's the thing. Slice that however you want to slice it. But a lie is a lie is a lie is a lie. Reminds me of the preacher that said one time, I asked him, he says, I said, how's your church doing? He says, man, he says, my church is doing great. He says, we're running between, he says, we're running between three and five hundred on Sunday morning. And I said, man, I said, that's great. I said, I want to come see you one day. So I came to visit the church one day, and I got there on a Sunday morning. There was about 50 people there. And I said, Brother, I said, I thought you said that your church was running between about three and 500. He says, Well, he says, 50 is between 30 and 500. <laughs> you see, we want to gloss over stuff like that. But Jesus said, Paul, Paul, when he was standing on Mars Hill, he said, there was a time that God blinked at ignorance. Yeah. But now he commands everyone to repent. Are we living with eternity in mind? The Bible says that the same Jesus that was taken up is going to come again. What does that mean for us? If it was expedient then, how close are we to death, to the coming of the Lord? I know it sounds hypothetical, and you've heard it before, but it has been said that if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you change in your life right now? Because the Bible says, no man knows the day, nor the hour. We don't know when. It is. We don't know when it will happen. I'll share this and then I'll bring it to a close. A dear friend of mine that I only knew about eight months when I started working where I was working at, one of the most genuine guys that I knew came into the store just several weeks ago. I was standing in the back. He says, I want to show you something. And he did his shirt collar like that. He had a big knot that was right there on his shoulder. He says, I want to help. He says, I want you to, he says, I want you to help me pray. He says, I'm going to go to the doctor. He says, get this checked out. He says, I don't know what it means. I don't know what it is. And went to the doctor. Two weeks ago, he called me. And he said, they did a biopsy on that. It came to, and the prognosis is not good. And I said, well, what? I said, well, what's going on? He says, well, it's cancer. Two days after that, they did, they did a 
some more tests. His wife called and said it is already, he said it is already spread to his liver and his lungs. Saturday, we buried him. Thankfully, he was ready to go. Ready to meet his Lord and Savior. Great Christian guy. But when it showed me, I was sitting, I was sitting in my office at work. And it made me realize none of us are promised tomorrow. Either, either by the grave or by the rapture. We're not promised tomorrow. What would it change in our lives if we if we lived with eternity in mind? So I know this is not a message that makes us jump the pews and shout, but it's a message that needs to be preached in every pulpit in America right now. How would it change if we knew that the Lord could come at any minute? And we have things in our heart that we need to get taken care of. Would you make that phone call and say, forgive me? Would you, would you repair those broken relationships to the best of your ability? Would you quit those habits that you're doing right now or that I'm doing right now? What would you do? Differently. Because the angels told them the same Jesus that you seen taken away is coming again in like manner. For those that are watching by Facebook tonight, if you don't know the Lord, you can take this opportunity. To ask Him to come into your heart. It's as simple as repenting of your sins. And asking Jesus to come into your heart. Because the Bible says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm, I'm ashamed to tell you that there's been times in my ministry... And 20 years of, of, and almost 20 years of ministry, that I could honestly say there were times here and there that if the trumpet were to have sounded, or if I was to have gone, or if I was to have slipped out of this world, I don't know if I would have been ready. Because there's times that I've harbored unforgiveness. There's times that I've had pride in my life. There's times that I've had other things in my life. And I don't know. I, see, I, you've got to understand, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a once saved, always saved guy. I believe you can backslide. I believe that you can. But that's why we've got to know that we know that we know. That our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I know this. I know that Jesus is getting ready to return. And I want to be ready to meet Him. I want to see Him when He comes 
back. Amen. Amen. Stand with me all over this house tonight. We hope you enjoyed today's message by Evangelist Jeremy Cook. If you would like more information regarding New Season Ministry, to schedule Jeremy to minister at your event, or to support the ministry with a love gift, please contact us at 859-404-4007. Or you may email him at pastorjeremycook at gmail.com. God bless, and we will see you next time on New Season Ministry. Thank you.